Hi there, welcome along to this episode of High Performance. This is our gift to you for free every single week. It's the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So today, allow the greatest leaders, thinkers, sports stars, entertainers, and entrepreneurs to be your teacher. Today's episode comes from a man at the absolute top of his game when it comes to acting. Today, we're joined by Sam Hewan. I definitely struggled, you know, a, a lot as an actor and, you know, had a highs and very sort of lows as well. You know, I had you know, bailiffs at the door and I was you know, really struggling, um, but also great, great highs. And I think um, that's also grounded me. I think if I'd had success at an early age, I, I would have been a complete mess. I had a moment where I was in a, a play and the audience were laughing and I got, I got them, I got them and it was such a buzz. And at that very moment when I was like, I stopped, I was like, oh my God, they're, they're with me, they're laughing, I've got this. That moment was so, I guess, magical and so exhilarating. I thought, yeah, I think I understand this now. But it is interesting because, you know, there can be a hundred thousand great comments and one that's bad and you're like, oh God, yeah. And it, you take that to heart. I've put my career first throughout my whole life. So I think at times I've let personal relationships go to one side. So I think I do have a small group of friends or people who are close. How did I think as, as I maybe have more success? Because uh, I guess there's just more to play and there's more, more happening in your life that you maybe you want to protect or you want to control. You know, I'm a very big fan of uh, of Sam's work. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, when I said he was coming on the podcast on my social media a couple of days ago, man, the reaction, particularly from you Outlander fans, there's a lot of you and you seemed very excited indeed, which is great. I thought he was brilliant in SAS Red Notice. He played the role of Tom Buckingham in that. Um, and I know he constantly gets links to the James Bond role. Um, I think he'd be a brilliant James Bond. But I think what you'll hear in this conversation is that in some ways it doesn't matter whether a job like James Bond comes his way or doesn't. Because actually Sam is in a place where he's now all about the process, not about the outcome. He talks about his doubts. He talks about the challenges of constantly being judged as an actor. He talks about the thrill of being successful. And throughout the whole conversation, he is self-deprecating. He's honest. He's humble. I thought it was a brilliant conversation. And I hope you get an awful lot from it. So enjoy today's episode. Uh, and don't forget, if you love these kinds of conversations, then you can pre-order the High Performance book lessons from the best on becoming your best which is out um, in only just a couple of weeks actually um, and if you like listening to content rather than reading it then you can also get involved in the audiobook as well just click the link in the description to this podcast and you can order the audiobook of high performance right today's episode with the actor sam hewan comes straight after this mother's day is around the corner Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. As I'm sure by now, you know that Lotus are the founding partners of the High Performance Podcast. And this week, I saw the Poppy Car, which has been created by Lotus and Mission Motorsport, which is the UK Armed Forces motorsport charity. Um, It was on the track at Anglesey on the north coast of Wales, live on YouTube. um, And it was an amazing, amazing thing to see this Lotus car. Um, It made its world debut last Thursday, the 11th of November, at a special service of remembrance, uh, Hethel, which is very apt because, of course, it's uh, it's a former RAF base. And the design was created in-house with thousands of hand-placed poppies forming the design. 635 of them were reflective, so they were shining bright when a light was run over over them and each of them represented a British service person who lost their life in Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, It was a really moving tribute actually so congratulations to everyone at Lotus and the Mission Motorsport Charity for their involvement in the poppy car. For more information check out lotuscars.com. Joining us today is an actor, the star of huge successes such as SAS, Rise of the Black Swan, the most watched movie ever on Sky Television here in the UK, well done, and the incredibly popular Outlander series. He's also starred in his own TV series, Men in Kilts. He's created his own whiskey. He's also the founder of My Peak Challenge, a global movement that has given millions to charity and changed tens of thousands of lives. And a thread running through all of this is a high-performance approach that has our guests being linked with the biggest acting roles on the planet. Please welcome to High Performance, Sam Hewan. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. I thought you were talking about someone else there. Only you. Who is talking about you? He sounds great. Let's start as we always do, Sam. What is, in your mind, high performance? I guess it's reaching my sort of the maximum potential of, of whatever industry you're in, but also, as a, I guess, as a human being as well. I guess it's from... Um, it's an interesting one because, you know, a lot of your guests are athletes, but it's interesting that, you know, a lot of what they talk about is sort of not only the sort of physical side, but the mental side as well. And I guess relating that to, to an actor is, is almost, we're athletes in a way, we're probably booze hounds more like, but, um, but, but you no, know, we do, we have to, you know, we have to sort of uh, maintain a peak performance, I guess, in, in our field. So do you see yourself as high performance? Because you're totally right. When we have sporting people on, they, they see themselves as high performance. There's no doubt in their minds because they have to believe that to achieve. Business people, very different. Actors, maybe it is different. So do you consider yourself a high performance performer? It is a, a really interesting question because I guess y- years ago, I probably wouldn't. I'd, 
you know, I just think I'm kind of doing this. I'm doing this for the love of it, and but I, I would have never seen myself at, at, in a, a a peak or a high bracket. But but I guess you have to operate, as I said, as an actor in, in so many different fields. It's not just you know learning lines. It's like you know, depending on the role, you have to test yourself in various ways. Whether it's physically, as I said, like you have to. I don't know, get ripped or put on size or muscle or whatever, or get into the mind of a character or, I don't know, learn a skill, you know, that is um, synonymous with the character. So I guess in a way, but it's really hard to define what, you know, what, what makes a successful actor, I guess. So how do you go about measuring it then, Sam? I mean, some people, I guess, might measure it through, I don't know, fame or fortune or popularity. But um, for me, I'm never content, probably. That's one thing to say. I'm probably my own critic, do I ever think I've done that well? Probably not. But in hindsight, I guess after after time, you look back and go, okay, yeah, I've, I can see where I've come from and where I've got to now. So in that sense, I might reward myself. But no, I never see that I've really done that well. It's interesting that though, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people listening to this, um, they see looking at success from the outside in as as goal oriented. So they think that, you know, if I end up with a TV series, then I've achieved well. If it's as sex- successful as Outlander, I've done really well. If I end up on SES Rise of the Black Swan, even better, you know, all these marks that you've managed to hit in your career. But I, I think that it's only when you're in it that you realize it isn't really about the goals because sometimes they can leave you feeling cold. It's more about the approach, the application, and possibly the journey rather than the destination, I guess. Yeah, I mean, to coin that, that phrase, isn't it? It is about the journey. And I think, you know, okay, so maybe a sportsman, you know, has the Olympics or whatever, you know, to become first, you know, to get the world record. But I guess as an actor, you know, there's there's just so much more to learn, I guess. You know, each each character teaches you a little bit about yourself as, as, as well as learning about the character. But also there are so many infinite avenues to understand about the human condition, but also... I guess in my case, you know, it's not just acting roles, but it's, oh, I can become my own boss. I can become an entrepreneur. I can do all of these creative things, which I find are rewarding. So, um, so yeah, I guess, I guess it's about the journey. And I think sometimes we forget that. So can we go to the start of your journey then, Sam? Because it's a... Yeah, where is that? Yeah, well, it sounds like it's like you had quite an eclectic childhood in terms of you, uh, you moved around a little bit. You went to different schools um would you tell us a little bit about how those experiences have shaped what you do today yeah i think so i was born and brought up in southwest scotland uh, in a very rural area uh son of a uh, uh my mother is an artist um my dad uh kind of disappeared off the scene very very early on at a very young age so i wasn't really aware of him uh growing up and then I moved to Edinburgh as a teenager, which was sort of for me like the bright lights of the city. Uh, and I went to this kind of interesting school, which is called a Rudolf Steiner School, uh, or I think people might know it's a Montessori. Um, it's a very popular in Germany. It's the only kind of private school you can go to. But at the time, you know, my mother was, uh, you know, obviously a single parent and struggling to, to bring up two to children so I fortunately got assisted place through the government uh, and I think that's probably where I learned that I wanted to become an actor I think um, it, it's a very well-rounded education you, you don't it's not specifically very academic you do a lot more um, you study philosophy you study astronomy you study you know history everything but but they just give you a, 
a broader understanding and maybe hopefully sort of de develop the child's character per se uh, a little more. So I think at that point I realized that I didn't need to go into, you know, a more traditional job. Um, and it just gave me a, I guess, uh, I don't know, like a, a sense of freedom that I could kind of do anything if I wanted to. I read a quote saying you were fascinated with being an actor when you were at school. Yeah. But didn't actually think you could do it. Yeah. When did that change then? When did you actually realise you can control your own destiny? Well, I was rubbish. I mean, I was absolutely useless. As an actor? As an actor, just generally. Yeah, I was terrible. <laughs> but I think, you know, I'd done a bit at school and I went into a youth theatre at the time and I had a moment where I was in a, a play and the audience were laughing and I got, I got them, I got them and it was such a buzz. And at that very moment when I was like, I stopped, I was like, oh my God, they're, they're with me, they're laughing, I've got this. That moment was so... I guess, magical and so exhilarating. I thought, yeah, I think I understand this now. And I guess from that point on, I, I sort of let go a bit, didn't try so hard and, and just let, let it happen. Um, which I think also goes back to, to maybe athletes and stuff as well. You know, you train so hard at something, but if you try too hard, you're going to fail. But if you, you sort of let yourself go, you know you've done the training, you know you've done the homework, then it works. You just... So you describe it in many ways, like that state of flow yes. that a lot of our athletes describe. Yes. So how do you as an actor go about creating the environments for you to reach that state of flow? It's so interesting. So when you're, especially in a scene, and I've spent so much time on Outlander recently, you know, we, you know, we shoot long days and you do scenes over and over again. So you kind of get really comfortable in a scene. Um, you know, you could shoot it maybe 20, 30 takes uh, of something. But in that, that moment, almost your mind is, is, doing something else your body's just doing it and um and i guess there comes this real uh magic i guess where you're responding and reacting to what the other actors are doing and the situation and it could be anything and it could be outside influence as well it could be you know sound effects or it could be something that happens you don't expect but i think when you're in the moment whether you're driving a formula one car or you're an actor or you're uh, competing you know it's that sort of moment where you're just allowing your body to do it and I guess that's where the creativity comes and the sort of special stuff we're looking for. And that is what interests me because I think that if you are um, a Formula One driver, no one's controlling you behind the wheel of a car. Yeah. Um, if you're some kind of an athlete or even a business person, no one's really controlling those big decisions. How much freedom for flexibility do you have then as an actor? Because I've always sort of considered that in that role, you say those lines, otherwise everyone else thinks, what? sorry, you said the wrong thing. Yeah. So... How do you get the balance right in that and kind of learn to trust yourself? Because it, yeah. it can relate to anyone's life, not, not necessarily just being an actor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's something that I you know, struggled with for, for a number of years as a young actor, kind of thinking, what do they want to see? And then trying to please whoever they were, you know, behind the camera or the audience or the, the producer or the director or you know, whoever it was trying to, that I was auditioning for or whatever. But By the way, that's chasing the impossible, isn't it? Because you've got no idea what they actually want. It, it is. And I think it's my biggest weakness as well is that I still try to please people. And I think, you know, a lot of us try, maybe try to do that. But uh, ha having said that, yes, exactly. If, if you almost um, can forget about that, I think, and just allow yourself to, to be, that's the way, the way to success. How do you get there? I think bravery. I think um, homework, preparation, as they say, as you, you started off this podcast. And a belief, I think, a belief in yourself. But I think belief and confidence are an interesting one because I think confidence is very important. But then 
um, overconfidence can obviously then lead to failure. So uh, it's something I've struggled with, you know, co confidence. And, and it's hard, you know, someone says, go on, be confident. What does that mean? And for me, I think confidence has come from experience. And right now, it's good, right? You're in the dream space for an actor where you can look at jobs and you might take them, you might not. You've got lots of projects on the go. Yeah. Was it good for you that you were still in your early 30s and you didn't really have much money in the bank and you, you did finish a job and had no other work? And you, I think I'm right in saying you genuinely thought, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I need to get a proper job, so to speak. Yeah, Jake. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, uh, God, yeah probably a lot older than you are right now but uh no, but I'm still uh I was still you know in my sort of early 30s and I was um just come back from America and, and quite interestingly I've only just come back from America now then I was traveling around America by bus going to auditions by bus which was kind of unheard of in, in those times um and just now I was there you know in, in a very different situation uh, and it just gave me a lot of time to reflect and look how far I've come but um, but yeah, I, I came back to the UK. I'd had some sort of level of success, but really was, you know, I'd signed on back onto the doll. I was working in a bar. I was trying to, you know, trying all different ways to survive. So I really was considering a, a change of career. And um, that's when Outlander uh, came knocking. It's a really good message, though, for people listening to this, because Damien writes a lot in, in the books that he's written about the messy middle that anything you start out on, whether it's a career or a project, there's always going to be that bit where you think, actually, this thing's going to fail. But quite often, as you, as you write, the success is just on the other side of that moment where people give up all too often. And I think we don't have enough resilience these days built into young people. Yeah. So they start on a path, find it's a struggle, haven't really experienced struggle in their lives up until that point and give up. Whereas the struggle is actually part of the journey you have to learn to accept, I think. Yeah. I mean, I... You know, I don't want to play the violin here, but I, I definitely struggled, you know, a, a lot as an actor and, you know, had a highs and very sort of lows as well. You know, I had you know, bailiffs at the door and I was, you know, really struggling, um, but also great, great highs. And I think um, that's also grounded me. I think if I'd had success at an early age, I, I would have been a complete mess. You know, I would have been um, probably all over the tabloids, you know, but I think this has given me, you know, a grounding. So what kept you going then in those dark moments? probably pickheadedness and stupidity but i'll say it's i'll say it's stubbornness and um and drive but yeah i, I guess a belief and and uh determination uh, and i guess if you stick in it long enough your your opposition they're all going to fade away at some point but yeah I, I guess it was this belief and it was like i actually don't want to do anything else like i, I want to do this and did you do anything different or did you just carry on doing the same thing and eventually the success came i think i became more experienced i think i began to know who the other players were, whether it's a casting director or a director or the building I would have to go to for the audition or I don't know. So then you start to go, okay, I get, I get now what the, the playing field is. And then in so that, that brings you a comfort, comfort then, which brings comfort. And I think at that point, the more comfortable I am, I realized the more than I can allow myself to, to do what I do, I guess. I think there's a really good message here for people that are listening to this who find that rejection or knockbacks or struggles kind of derails them a little bit because when i look at someone who does what you do for a living like you auditioned for tron right in the states yeah you were working in a bar at the time yeah that's right you went out to hollywood yeah, he's done his research you auditioned for tron like that is a life-changing job if you get it like that's not just another job that's a life-changing job yeah so how do you get comfortable with the fact that something that could totally change your life is in the hands of an individual and you are 
a hair's breadth away from landing that. Yeah. And then how did you deal with it when you got the call to say that, uh, that someone else? So that situation was really interesting because I, I, I really was, I was living in sort of North London in a, you know, a bed sit and, um, there was, it was a pretty rough area and, uh, I really had no money. I think I'd been very ill and I was living on like one bowl of porridge a day or whatever, you know. And um, I got this call to go. They flew me to America and I got picked up by this amazing car outside and it was first class and I just never experienced this. And it went to, um, I think it was Universal Stages and, you know, we, we got into the, the Tron suit and I was auditioning with, with these uh, other great actors and it was just such a, a crazy experience. And I think also at the time you have to, finalize your contract so you know how much is at stake here you know how well, you talk about the money at that point yes yeah wow. so you, they tell you how much and so all you can see is zeros so and probably not many zeros but for me it was a, a huge deal so they put so much pressure on you uh and i actually remember being pretty nervous when i got there and i sort of messed up the first take and i was i was like what do i do how do i make myself feel comfortable and stupidly like got down and did some press-ups and it just like brought me into my body and just made me like, okay, I'm, I'm in control here. And, uh, and then I think it went quite well. I didn't get the job, obviously, but, uh, but it, yeah, there was just a lot riding on it. So like the sheer enormity that your life could change in that moment, I like the press-ups example. Why was that so important to, uh, to shift your focus? It's probably because I wanted a cigarette at the time, actually. But uh, <laughs> which I don't smoke and I don't condone. But um, uh, at the time I, I was, you know, but I think it was just more about, being in control of the situation and what's happening and um I was kind of in my head and uh I think it's important for an actor especially if you're in a scene to 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 not be in your head obviously to just be reacting to the moment so I think maybe simply you know raising my heart rate or pumping blood around my muscles it just made me feel more physical but I think it was also just to give myself a time out maybe so what do you do next so like the next time when you had a similar shot maybe it was for Outlander and yeah. the auditions for that what yeah. did you do on that occasion that was different then so now I, f- I found I find in scenarios when I'm nervous when I'm about to step off the edge um, of, of a scene or whatever it walks through the door and try and impress someone or, or whatever it is they, they, they instead of kind of uh rising to the occasion i kind of just go okay we'll just let's just go let's just see what happens just relax and it's like this weird kind of like internalizing it's hard to describe but yeah because there are moments especially even on outlander where i'm still like oh, you know like what's about to happen or have i forgotten the line or god i can't remember something and instead of worrying about it i just go okay doesn't matter let's just let it go and is it useful for you to not think that it's bigger than it is if you know what i mean I, I guess I think so. Yeah, you know, to not know who's watching, and I, I, I've done obviously theatre, which I guess is nowhere near as big as what you've done. But um, I mean, it, for instance, I did this live Batman show, you know, in front of like you know, twenty, thirty thousand people, um, which you know had so much going on, you know, pyrotechnics and flying and fighting, and and I think if you start to think about what could go wrong, you're just you're it's going to go wrong. Um, you just have to kind of go, okay, hope that everything is be fine and just go for it. So a question that we often ask our athletes then is one that intrigues me in uh, the answer we'll get from yourself, Sam, is how much of your success as an actor would you attribute to the tools of acting and how much of it is down to your mental preparation and the mental side of of your performance? Yeah, that's a good question because muscle memory is really important. And I think uh, for an actor, you know, we have another muscle that we use. I mean, our brain is a big part of it because you, 
you have to learn your lines, right? So you're literally using that muscle and it, it does get better. It gets quicker at doing it. And it's so interesting how quickly it does it. Um, and also your body, you know, you say you're doing a fight scene, you, you, you rehearse it. And I always find you go to sleep and then the next day your body remembers it. It's, it's so interesting. So I guess that's what an athlete does, I'm guessing. And they're training their body to do all this thing. But then I guess th there is this magic, something that, you know, it's, it is not luck, but it's, you're just relying on everything to come together at the right time on the right day. Shall I tell you the percentage we got from some of the, the top sports Go people on, that joined us? Yeah. What, so we asked Dame Kelly Holmes, right. what percent do you think she put down to mental and what percent physical? Uh, oh, I'm, I, I'm going to say mental. Like I think 80%. 80. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Can you relate to that? You're that much in control of it? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Preparation though. Talk to us about your preparation then. Absolutely zero today. <laughs> <laughs> Not for this role, but for a role that means an awful lot to you. Let's say, um, I mean, one of the films I really enjoyed you in, SAS Rise of the Black, Black Swan. How did you prepare? It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't right. it? Red Notice was so simple. Red Notice was easier. Um, yeah. Yeah. How much preparation did you do for that role? And to what intensity did you prepare? Because I want people to understand that they see the fun. You, you feel the hard work. So I guess every job is different. And I guess that's what's so fantastic. And for certain jobs, one thing will work. For a Shakespeare, you might work on the text and on your voice and on, you know, whatever it's required for that space. If you're in a theater and you have to convey, um, you know, the language or whoever, or the, or the emotions to the back, back of the audience. But for another job, it might be, you know, a TV job or a film job. You're going to be studying a certain martial art or, or whatever it is. And for this, it's an interesting job because I got to work with uh, Andy McNabb, who people don't know, he's uh, ex-Special Forces, I think quite highly decorated. He has a lot of fingers and a lot of pies. But the most interesting part was that he considers himself as a psychopath. He believes he was born this way. And that's also the role of the character. So for me, it was about learning what that means uh, and studying McNabb himself. Um, and then there's the whole other side as well. So that's the mental side, I guess. And the other side was the physical side, like fight scenes, uh, learning the choreography. That particular role was really interesting for me because it was uh, an interesting character to play. And where do you sit on the quote that we use often on this podcast, 100% responsibility? So we talk about the power of taking responsibility for every area of your life, even the stuff that you can't control. Yeah. When you're preparing for a role, do you relate to that? Yeah, I mean, I'm a bit of a control freak in, in certain areas of my life. So I think with acting, though, I think there's a, a weird side where I think it's important to prepare. I think I've said it before, but it, but then there's also this freedom. And I think, I, I think I'm an instinctual actor. I think that comes from my theatre background. You know, I think I like to n know what the playing field is in the text and whatever, and then just go for it. Whereas I know other actors really like to talk about what's going on in the scene. They want to hit each point, uh, each arc, each graph of, of, of the scene or the story. But whereas I, I kind of don't want to know. I don't want to know what's going to happen. I just want to feel my way through it. And I think um, that's what's really interesting. And I, I have a co-star on Outlander who's kind of the opposite of me. And I think it's really interesting to see how, uh, how it works for different people. See, that's fascinating because that's like when we speak to athletes that are in a dressing room and they have some teammates that like to play off the cuff, if you like, and some that want to know what they're going to do at certain moments. So yeah. how do you balance those, uh, those two approaches to make sure the performance is still on point? 
Well, I think that's interesting. And I'm obsessed with sport and, you know, I watch all these, you know, American football documentaries. You see them in the dressing rooms or dare I say that, you know, on set, it is kind of like that because everyone has their own process. So some people, some actors need whatever influence it is. They might need time out on their own. They might need music or they might need to just, you know, shoot the shit with you. You like talk, talk rubbish with each other actors just to feel, make themselves feel comfortable. Um, there's of course a rehearsal process or whatever, but, um, I guess every, every individual has their own, their own way into it or their own sort of. So understanding process. them is as important as delivering on your own performance. Isn't yeah. It? So I think I grew up being very sensitive for whatever you can read into it, for whatever reason that is, um, maybe my upbringing or, or whatever, but, but I'm quite sensitive to, when I walk in a room, I, I sort of feel I can, gauge what the, the the atmosphere or the tone is and what certain people's energy is and i think that maybe might help me as an actor because i in a scene or with other actors i sort of you're responding to what you're getting off of them and i think being being aware to their their energy their vibe means i love that because we spoke to Maurizio pochettino the former tottenham boss he's now at psg just managing Lionel messi and a few others and he talks about universal energy yeah so he when you meet him and he just puts his arm around you and he holds on to you for quite a long time wow. almost an uncomfortable amount of time so he'll just have yeah. his hand here for ages and you and then when we got talking did he say you know i feel that by touching someone i can work out if they've slept well whether they're happy with which is a really interesting approach i think to elite level sport as much as anything else yeah uh absolutely i mean you can read so much i mean you know there's all those you know, acting exercises you do when you're at drama school or, or even as a youth theater where you you know, staring in the eyes of the, of your counterpart for until someone can look doesn't look away, or, or you're just holding each other's hands, and you, or even breath work. You know, just breathing together. Like there's so much, and I think there's so much that human beings read of each other, and we play off each other, but we don't even explore. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What have you learned for dealing with rejection and setback? Because this is like a, not a daily thing, but it's probably a monthly thing for any actor. It's daily. daily. Is it daily? No, no, no. But um, yeah, it's so Was really, it hard at the start? Uh, yeah, yeah, you of took course. it personally? Of course. Oh, yeah. And you do, you know, you, you think, you know, what is it? Why wasn't I good enough? Did I, was I not, I know, was my hair color wrong? Was I not muscular enough? Did I, was my accent wrong? Whatever you know, infinite possibilities are. But then actually I've been on the other side during Outlander, the the sort of making it, I actually got to sit and audition other people. And I saw how people come in and they were nervous or 
excited or whatever. And, and I saw actually how it never actually really came down to the performance. It was more, they're just not right. They're not the right person for the job. It just didn't sit right. And so I guess in a way that takes a lot of the pressure off the interviewee. You know, it's in a sense, it's not that they did wrong. It's just that there was someone else who was more right. Yes. It's my granny used to say, what's for you won't go by you. That's it. And I think in some ways to get that mindset is probably quite, it's probably quite useful and powerful for someone that is in quite a vulnerable position because auditioning is a, is a vulnerable thing, right? You're yeah. putting yourself on the line. Yeah. And I think, you know, I look back on the jobs that I could have had that I got close on and I'm like, God, I wish I'd got that one or I wish that had happened. But actually I wouldn't be where I was now and I wouldn't have carved out this, this particular career. So, so do I regret anything? I don't think so. I think, yeah, I'm I've like, just you have to let it go and move on. So what about on social media then? How do you deal with the sort of comment, like comments and commentary on your performance yeah. from people that are not within your world, but that you're performing to? Yeah, that's a really interesting one because I guess so, social media for me, you know, and for most of us, I guess, is really taken off in the past decade. I start showing my age now or whatever, but but yeah, I guess at first, you know, I threw myself into it. And then when you start to read comments or, you know, negative feedback, you know, uh, first you take it to heart. It's like, or reading critics, you know, people saying, you know, this person, whatever the performance was, was whatever. But I think now I've got better at it. Um, I almost don't, don't bother reading them. But it is interesting because, you know, there can be a hundred thousand great comments and one that's bad. And you're like, oh God, yeah. And it, you take that to heart. But yeah, social media is something that I'm, you know, I have a sort of love-hate relationship with because I think it's great. It gives us access to people, um, which is wonderful. But also, I think uh, it can also be, it can be quite negative. There was a period where you released a statement, didn't you, about, was it comments about you personally or your personal life or stuff mm -hmm. away from your acting? And you actually just said, look, this is a, I think you used the phrase like a daily, a daily stress or a daily anxiety for me. Yeah, yeah. That's tricky because you're, your career is a career that puts you in the public domain. Yeah. And therefore people think that everyone in that public domain is, is fair game for that. So putting out a statement, will it stop it? Probably not. Does it make you feel better? Probably. Does it equip you to deal with it? I guess you can, only you can answer that. Like, do you feel better equipped for that sort of stuff now? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I guess, you know, short story was, um, you know, I guess with the rise of social media and the internet, you know, people can find out information, they can really almost have an influence on, on your personal life. And I think I'm very protective of, of my personal life. It's just something that I've learned throughout time. But um, at that point, I sort of reached the end of kind of dealing with it. And I, I felt a statement was important because, um, because also sometimes people don't know what goes on. You know, we see celebrities or sports people, and, but we don't actually know what's going on in their lives. And who knows what could actually have happened to them that day or the day before or whatever. So I guess, I mean, it's all fake anyway. You know, I mean, look at Instagram. I mean, you know, people just putting up, you know, what isn't, is it reality? Not really. Um, so I guess I wanted to be quite honest there and, and have a platform and I knew I had a platform to do that. Um, but what was the reaction like? It was great for a short time. And of yeah. course it, it goes back to, to what it was but I think for me it was important just to, to put it out there and at least I'd said my piece and then people can take that deal with it as, as they wish and what it comes back to really is you only really listening to the people that matter yeah so a question we often like asking our guests is what do you look for in the people that you want in your in your inner circle in your group 
Oh, that's interesting. Because I, I think personally, I'm a bit of a loner or I, I have a very small group of like close friends, I think. I don't know if the same with everyone that's sports people or whatever. I mean, I guess there's this drive and I think I've put my career first throughout my whole life. So I think at times I've let personal relationships go to one side. So I think I do have a small group of friends or people who are close and I've become more guarded, I think, as, as I maybe have more success because uh, I guess there's just more to play and there's more more happening in your life that maybe you want to protect or you want to control. What do I look for? Um, I guess my closest friends are people who actually know me from the longest, I guess. So what qualities do they bring to your life? Uh, comfort, I think, support, um, understanding, uh, and, and I guess an empathy, right? Someone that's been through something similar uh, or understands your situation where you're at. So I think it's so important to have someone, you know, like that. And I think uh, it's hard to know what other people's agendas are. So, yeah, so yeah it's, it's important to have that, that, that base. So does it take support. you time to really be you when you meet new people? And Yes and no. I think I'm approachable, but in the last few years, I guess I do protect myself more, yeah. I want to talk to you about the importance and the power of dreaming. Because I see often you linked with big roles, you know, the James Bond, Sam Hewen link is mentioned all the time. And, I, you know, there's people placing money on it, I guess, because the odds change. And yeah. What's your relationship like with those kinds of conversations? Do you allow yourself to have those dreams? And if you do or don't, are they, is it a powerful thing? Uh, yeah, I think it's important to, to dream, isn't it? And I think it's important to aspire to, to greatness and to new goals. Um, you know, that one in particular is you know, one of many that you would you know, you'd, you'd die for. Um, but also I'm very aware that you know, it's more of a, a bookie's dream than, than anything. But, um, but yeah, I think it is important for us to, to, you know, to dream big. And I think that, again, going back to an athlete, you know, to, to dream of going to the Olympics, I mean, it must be, it must be everything. And, and I think that to strive for more is, is, is important. So what's your equivalent at the Olympics then? James Bond. No, it's not. Um, it's what is my. It would be good though. I mean, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't complain. But I think, I think there's also you know, an infinite number of amazing roles out there. And as I, as we were talking about before, it's not for me. It's actually sort of not just about acting now. Uh, I have a lot of other projects and things on the go. And actually, finding more doors are open. Uh, in those fields of, of, of being an entrepreneur than, than the acting world. So I'm really finding a lot of, um, I guess, uh, satisfaction from that. I can understand the men in kilts thing, which is your TV show, because of your upbringing and it's hilarious. Just wanted and to wear a kilt. You work really well together. And the whiskey I can understand as well. It kind of all makes sense. I'm really interested, though, in, in my peak challenge that you do. Yeah. What is the driver for you to get other people fitter, stronger, healthier, happier? Yeah, so my peak challenge is a charity fundraiser I started when I went back to Scotland to start shooting Outlander. And essentially, it was a social media experiment, really. I was trying to help raise money for charity. And we did that through um, selling some T-shirts and uh, sort of encouraging people to create a new healthy habit. And I think at that time, I was also really enjoying the outdoors in Scotland, hiking a lot just sort of seeing new horizons new ba- and realizing it didn't take a lot to, to just get out there and do it. And I think th- through that over a year or so, I realized that 
actually the problem was it was education that people didn't know, especially the sort of demographic that I was uh, talking to at the time. You know, the, the fans. Um, there are people that maybe were desperately wanted to to get fit or to change their lifestyle, but they didn't know how and just needed that information. And and I guess that motivation. Um, and so yeah, I sort of. Uh, started my big challenge um, with my business partner who I must mention Alex Nazuri who was just fantastic and we went from you know maybe four or five thousand followers to I think we're about 15 to 20,000 now and we've raised six million dollars for charity but not only that we just have this group of people who are supportive and energetic and and this wonderful community and it's it's around the world you know people all, all across the world and they support each other and share their highs and lows and their challenges and and it, and essentially, they're also their victories, you know, they, they've lost weight, they've found confidence, they've found friendship, they uh, have done things they never thought they would. And I think it's giving them the power to do it. So it's not really me, it's them sort of taking control, I guess, of, of and what responsibility, been, right? And what has been the, the most effective first step that people have found helps them on that journey? It's taking the first step, I think. It, the first step is the hardest. Um, knowing where to start, you know, we try and give them a platform and in the, in the information. And as soon as they take that first step, they realize it's not as hard as they thought. But then I guess also keeping keeping it as a habit. And I think we've all tried it. You know, we've, I mean, God, I've tried some, you know, I've done everything. Um, you know, and you get into, you know, a couple of weeks of a workout schedule or whatever, and you give up because you're just, you get bored or you're not sure. And so I think it's about variety and about goals and about um, also you know, not giving yourself a hard time and just kind of going with it. It's a good reminder that action leads to motivation. We think so many people sit around waiting for the motivation to arrive, and it never does. You've got to take take the action first of all. Yeah, it's also really powerful. I think that we get a lot of messages from people saying, "Oh, your podcast has whatever, whatever to my life," and I often read them and think, "No, no, no, you've you've done that." And that's the great thing about my peak challenge is that you're just giving people the opportunity, and they're showing to you the power of community, of a sense of togetherness, of starting a journey. It's a good message for anyone listening to this, I think. It, it really is. Honestly, I'm inspired every day by them. You know, I, I literally have done nothing. I've given them a platform. But to see, you know, you know a, a, a woman who had severe mobility, uh, immobility is now able to, you know, to, to do certain exercises or, you know, a, a group of people who were quite low and you know, now created a community or, or or sharing their fears as well i think it's there's great bravery in that so um yeah they inspire us every day and, and to be honest yeah it, it's it's wonderful and and i keep going back to it every day just to, to it actually keeps me motivated as well um it's time for our quick fire questions oh right okay good luck so first of all we want your three non-negotiable behaviors that you and the people around you have to buy into i guess honesty yeah honesty enthusiasm and determination. If you could go back to one period of your life, Sam, what would it be and why? I mean, as, as I'm, you know, getting older, I guess, uh, I mean, I would love to do it all again, but I wouldn't change anything. I don't think I would change anything. Very briefly, I just went through a, a bereavement uh, quite recently. And I guess uh, during that time, you wish, you know, God, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd spent more time with this person or, or spoken to them. But um, I guess I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, but there are moments, I guess, where we would think, God, I wish I could go back. How important is legacy to you? Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, as, as human beings, we all want to, to leave behind a better place. Uh, I certainly do. So I guess it is important. Uh, and I guess as an actor, you know, you want possibly people to look back on a performance or be able to rewatch something and go, God, that was great. So 
in a way, yeah, I do. I want to leave, I, uh, I guess, the world a better place with with you know, some some form of legacy that people are affected by and, and brings you know, happiness to them. Would you recommend what a book, a, a podcast, or a TV series that our listeners should absorb? Well, ap- apart from your podcast, of course, because some great sound bites there, mostly by by Jake. He's uh, some t-shirts printed. Um, <laughs> You know, I am into the outdoors and I think, um, personally, right now I'm about to do a job about climbing, about uh, Everest. And, you know, I read Ant Middleton's book. Um, you know, I'm reading a lot of those, those books. So uh, even Bear Grylls, you know, I think I'm kind of inspired by those, by, by climbing stuff. Um, so I guess one of their books about summiting Everest, because I think Everest for me at the moment, uh, you know, is sort of the, the pinnacle of human achievement. And finally, the last question is um, something to leave our listeners and viewers to think about. Based on all the experiences you've had from when you were at youth theatre to the, the bad times when the auditions weren't great and the rejections were heavy to the good times where you keep on working and things, all those things you've learned along the way, at the moment in your life, what would you say is the one golden rule to living a high-performance life? Sleep more. Recovery Sleep is, is key. so important. And, uh, and relax, I think is the most important, you know, you, you've got it, you've got this, you've put the work in and I think uh, just let it, let it happen. It's a great message. And I think from the conversation we've just had, that is the sense that maybe at the beginning acting was a real hard work and a real job and you had to work hard at it. And the longer you've gone through, the more natural it's become, the more you've relaxed and found your flow. And it's a testament to the work you're getting now. Thank you, mate. Damien. Jake. It's very interesting, isn't it, how often Sam kept referring to sports people. And I still think that people outside the world of sport, whether they're business people, whether they're singers, whether they're actors, despite the fact that they're performing exactly in the same way that a sports person is performing, I still get the impression that they don't quite feel worthy of having a conversation about high performance. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think um, often because they're doing something that requires expression or or making themselves vulnerable I think sometimes it's the idea that it doesn't measure on a scoreboard you know unless you like he spoke about box office receipts or the millions that come to your um, films it's almost like the idea that it's difficult to quantify and measure and yet you've made the point it's about performance it's about doing something to the best of your ability and I think there's so many lessons that Sam was sharing with us there that we can take away there's also a great reminder, I think, in that conversation that, you know, way less than a decade ago, he was basically not able to pay his bills. He, was, he said to us he was signing on. He questioned whether it was really going to happen for him. And that is a really strong reminder for people that whatever it is that you're tackling in life, there will be that moment of struggle, that moment of strife, that moment of p- perceived failure. And not only is the best way through that failure to to go headlong through it and turn it into a success. But the power of expecting to fail, I think, is so important. And we should really understand that. Because if we're expecting it and we understand it, then when it arrives, we don't get derailed by it. Yeah. And again, this is a common theme that we've seen with so many of our interviewees. It was in Series 1 way back um, when Series 1 just launched and we sat down with Ant Middleton. And he spoke about these pre-mortems of 
before going into battle. They would work out what could go wrong, what could kill us, and let's prepare for those moments so we can handle it so much better. And the applicability of that, whether you're an actor, you know, the pre-mortem of, there might be long periods where I'm out of work, or whether you're a sports person working out what happens when you get put on your backside, just anticipating them improves your resilience to cope when those dark moments descend on us. Well, Damien, I tell you what, we had some really interesting feedback to the Steve Morgan episode last week. Grant got in touch on Facebook to say, what a great conversation with Steve. Honest, straightforward and simple in Steve's appraisal of his life, business decisions and values. Um, you're on my number one podcast. I can't get enough and I'm recommending it to everyone, which is nice. But a nice question from Cheryl, actually. She said, I've listened to this episode with Steve Morgan and I've saved it for future reference. In fact, she says, I've listened to it twice and saved it for future reference. But then she says... If only I could have the courage to take on the opportunities instead of worrying about the risk. How often do we hear this from people, Damien, that on the other side of fear and anxiety and worry and self-doubt are so many great things. And even if we can only persuade Cheryl to move on from that, it will be a good thing. But there'll be many people listening to this who have a similar mindset. What do you find are the, are the good tools for moving beyond the fear to where... Um, the success and the happiness and the fulfillment often lie yeah well i think the first point that cheryl's making there is that you'd be foolish if if, if you didn't have fears so the first thing is to acknowledge that it's not a weakness to have those worries but how we process them there's two really simple ideas that we picked up in series one when we interviewed tom daly tom spoke about the zander letter the idea of being able to look 12 months into the future and reflect back as if you've already lived a life and look at what you've achieved, what you're proud of, what you gained from the experiences. And what that does is that opens up your brain to possibilities rather than probabilities. It's the part that we've, that he explained about your reticular activating system. You start seeing uh, chances rather than threats. So that's the first technique. But then... That works well, but it's even better if you can then marry it up with what's known by the psychologist Gary Klein as a pre-mortem. And a pre-mortem says, now you know where you want to go. Work out what can kill you before you set off. So that's where Cheryl can maybe think about some of the things that does concern her, some of the worries. And then once you can now sort of identify them, you then work out, so how would I handle them should they occur? Now, what the evidence says is that when you combine both a Xander letter and the pre-mortem, you improve your resilience levels to cope with pressure by around 32%. So two really simple ideas that Cheryl or anyone else listening to this might want to adopt. Visualise where you want to get to and then catastrophise all the reasons that could stop you along the way. And actually talking about the catastrophizing, um, I saw a tweet from Elon Musk who, as you know, Damien, we are desperate to get on the High Performance Podcast. So Elon, if you're listening to this... <laughs> Feel free to get in touch. Um, but do you remember when Susie Ma came on, the entrepreneur who's created Tropic Skincare, and she said she was watching a Disney film and she took a really nice bit of inspiration from it. I think it's really important that you can learn little things and pick up inspiration from anywhere, including, of all the horrendous, dark, rancid places, Twitter. So a lady called Viv, I assume it's a lady called Viv, got in touch and said to Elon Musk, she was talking about some other bits, and she said, if you've dealt with anxiety in your life, um, especially the physical symptoms of shaking, dizziness and feeling lightheaded. What helped you the most in overcoming that? 
And Elon Musk's reply, it was, it was, um, I found it really helpful, even for myself. He said, accept the worst case outcome and assign it a probability. You'll find the probability is usually very low. Now think of all the good things in your life and assign them a probability. Many of them you'll find are certain. Bringing anxiety or fear to the conscious mind saps it of its limbic emotional strength. Cheery fatalism is very effective. And I was thinking about this because I know, right, Damien, that I'm a hypochondriac, right? So every time I get the smallest physical symptom of something, it's not just a cough or a cold, it's horrendous. My brain goes on 10 steps and it takes me to the worst possible place, right? And I thought about this today and I thought, right, so this slight symptom I've got, what actually is the probability that this is something bad that is going to end my life in the next six months or even six years? Probably a one out of 10, maybe even a 0.5, maybe even a 0.01. What is the probability that I'm going to have a good week? Probably an eight. What is the probability that this evening I'll kiss my kids goodnight? As close to 10 as you can possibly get, um, God willing. And you go through all the things in your life that you love. What's the probability I'll take the dogs for a walk tomorrow? Well, that's a 10. What's the probability um, that Cheryl, who's listening to this, is going to try something and it's going to be a total abject disaster? Probably a two. That's worth taking. What's the probability that even if it is a two, Cheryl, you'll manage to cope with it? Probably a 10. Because we're so much better at coping with the negativity and the setback and the difficult things than we think. And when he says bringing anxiety or fear to the conscious mind saps it of its limbic emotional strength, it's a reminder, Damien, to you and to me and to Cheryl and everyone else listening to this, that all the time we spend being anxious, being fearful, worrying that we're not good enough, doubting our own abilities, is filling up our brain with the stuff of negativity when we could be spending all that time and all that energy being creative, being positive, being forward thinking. And actually then we don't realize all the stuff we're missing out on. That's an amazing piece of advice. I love it. I think it's a great example of bringing logic to an emotional debate. You're giving yourself a fighting chance of actually working yourself through that feeling, that fear that seems all encompassing when you're in the moment. So I think that's amazing. I really love that. It's an idea I'm going to take away and and adopt for myself as well. I think it's brilliant. Just very briefly, Damien, can you put the words limbic emotional strength into layman's terms for people? Yeah, so it's it's basically the primitive part of our brain that is wired to keep us alive. So when it senses that we see anxieties that is, is about a threat that manifests itself and that part of the brain then starts to catastrophize and assume that it might kill us. So then the strength that it gives us is often to run away, to hide, or to go and be aggressive and irrational in the face of it. So that's the the kind of very primitive strength that Elon Musk is describing. Whereas if we sort of, what he's describing there is we sap it of its strength by saying, this isn't going to kill us. This isn't the threat that you perceive in it to be. Because its job evolved millions of years ago to stop us uh, getting eaten by predators in the jungle. So it, it did a really good function, but in our modern world, it's often irrelevant. Good stuff. Nice bit of science to end on. Damo, thanks ever so much as always, mate. Love it, mate. Honestly, I think it's a real privilege to be doing this. So thank you for uh, inviting me along with you. And um, listen, please do keep the feedback coming. We love to hear what you think of the episodes. If you've got questions for Damien and myself, if you want to just share your thoughts, 
Um, we do see them. We can't necessarily respond to all of them, but blimey, we absolutely try. So you can get in touch with Damien at Linkwood Thinker. I'm at Jake Humphrey. Or you can send a message to at High Performance on Instagram as well. Don't forget you can join the High Performance Circle by logging on to thehighperformancepodcast.com and also uh, click the link in the description to this podcast. Just swipe down and click the link to pre-order our new book, Lessons from the Best on Becoming Your Best. You can also get signed copies from Waterstones and details of our tour around the UK in 2022 are dropping very soon indeed. So keep your eyes peeled for details on that. Uh, but of course, thanks to Damien. Thanks as well to the entire high performance team. Um, thanks to Sophie King and Finn Ryan from Rethink Audio for their hard work. Thanks to Will O'Connor, Hannah Smith and Eve Hill. But most of all, thank you very much to all of you for tuning in and being part of the High Performance family. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. Be your own biggest cheerleader and make world-class basics your calling card because you deserve them. We'll see you next time. 